Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Another episode of the Backside Ground Balls Pod off-season episode two, where we talk about anything except for baseball. Um, it is Monday, November 21st. This is episode Who Cares? Um, I'm Dan. That's Trevor. What's going on, Trev? Can't complain. Living the dream. My off days are on Mondays, so I basically had my feet kicked up since 1130. Made myself a nice little chili in the slow cooker Ooh. and read like 100 pages in a book. That's about all I did. You're 57 years old and it never ceases to amaze me. Are you uh are you a beans in the chili guy? Yes, 100%. Kidney beans or what? I went with northern beans this time. I was just kind of one of nice huh? white bean in there, white bean. That was kind of what I was looking for. Not bad. Um yeah, we were saying this before we got on, but this is like my favorite week of the year. I sat at work. Sorry if my bosses are listening. Sat at work watching the World Cup all day today. Unbelievable. So much fun. Anyway, we have something on tap for you guys. Um, we have a very special guest with us. Senior, senior, super senior catcher at East Tennessee University, Marshall Autry. Marshall started his career out playing for me at Goldie Beacon College. For us at Goldie Beacon College. I'm sorry, Marshall. And Trevor was obviously a teammate of his and then a coach of his. He's nice enough to give us some time while he's home for Thanksgiving break. Marsh, what's going on, dude? What's happening? Just hanging out. Trevor, I have to say, I think you've been that old since we played together. That sounds like the ideal off day. That's true. <laughs> true. But nothing. I'm excited to be home, have a little little break, talk to my favorite people about my favorite thing, and, uh, yeah, just chit-chat a little bit. It's good to have you. Um, for bad podcasting here, uh, for people who can't see us, who aren't watching on YouTube, uh, Marshall has an unbelievable waxed mustache right now, perfectly curled at the corners. It's going to look great in the family photos on Thursday. I'm sure your mom appreciates that. Um, so college of you. So Believe college it or not, this love you actually, to have that mustache. This is actually not waxed. This is just fresh out of the shower. Believe it or not. Wow. That's impressive. Good about two months strong. <laughs> That's gonna look sweet when you when you pop the mask off in the spring and everybody's like, oh just gonna God, get a taste. Is that Raleigh fingers? <laughs> yeah, like after you after you shoot a guy at second base and you lift the mask up to show the outs to the infield with that thing just twirled up on the end. I'm gonna oh, give man. it an extra twirl. Though. Some loser from UNC Asheville thought he could get a bag. No shot. No Come chance, on. buddy. You know better. <laughs> He's like Goldie Beacom. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> What's a Goldie Beacon? Goldie Beacon. Who's that Beacon? Guy? <laughs> Previous school Golden Beacon. The hell is that? I'm still Just make sure they remember the hyphen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. People still. I've I've told people a hundred times like, where did you go last year? And I, I'll say Goldie Beacom College. And like, ah, Golden Beacon University. That's awesome. I'm like, yep, that's it. <laughs> You got it. I just like don't even know if you were listening to a word I just said. Oh, <laughs> what a place! I love it. I love it. That is great. Gave us 
gave us a chance to all be uh, together under one roof for two years. Uh, and if nothing else, we at least got that out of it. That's true. That's true value. That's true value. But, Marshall, I did want to ask you one question to kickstart this conversation. It's something I've been thinking about all day. I know we got a lot of listeners that, obviously, we got guys that played for me at Arcadia and built that relationship. So I want you to give what it's like to, A, have an AirPod in your ear with Dan Galati coming in through the, through the <laughs> CACC Pitchcom, and, which is just an app through a microphone. It's, it's about as cut rate as it gets. And what's it like on a serious note to, to be the catcher for, for Dan as a pitching coach for our listeners that don't know what it's like to, uh, to work with him as a, as a coach? Um, having him on the AirPod was honestly one of the most enjoyable parts of this past year. Um, it was just funny. I feel like we were actually having a, like a conversation while I was playing because it would be as much as it was quote unquote one way communication. I would just turn my head. The dugout was so close. I would just talk back. So that was pretty fun. It was like having one of your closer friends on the team, if not the closest friend you have on the team in your ear while you're doing what you're supposed to like do I'm doing my job and catching baseballs and helping we're helping each other out with pitch calling and that stuff but it was fun it was uh crack jokes here and there sometimes I would get a guest I would get a guest like a little quote from <laughs> coach Bill that was always a lot of fun he would just take it and say something stupid um uh but catching for him and I guess like working with him every day um wasn't easy at first he can attest to that being a young a young catcher was there was a lot going on between these years so i know uh he had to bear with that you had, you even had to bear with that for a few years <laughs> that was on the offense so we'll get there later uh but it was it was good um i mean this year we definitely our relationship definitely took a step to the next level and I, I it sounds stupid but i think a lot of it had to do with that airpod and that like communication mid pitch pre pitch like asking what he thought of certain pitch calls or I would ask him what he thought of different locations and what kind of just conversing about a specific hitter, like what I see, what he sees. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, definitely something that's going to hard, hard to be matched regardless of where I go from here. But, uh, a lot of fun to say the least. Yeah. By far one of my favorite people to coach. It was the AirPod was just, I mean, we do so many stupid things in the sport of baseball. Pitch calling in college baseball, when it like the, the no two way communication thing, like that gives some huge advantage, is the dumbest thing in the world sometimes to me. Like I get that people can probably find a way to cheat, but like the ease of doing it that way, where it wasn't like I have to flash a number, Marshall has to look at his wrist and then relay a sign. Like just being able to be like fastball. Like, especially when you get into, I mean, we, uh, like, and even so, like, not even for the intense moments, like, just as a coach in the dugout through all the, like, 10 up, 10 down games, where it's like, okay, <laughs> like, fastball. You know, we were playing, I, I don't remember the, there was a game this year, March, we played, last year we played, and, and I don't remember this, who it was or this, but I just remember, I think for, like, three, the last three innings, we were just going, like, splitting fastballs. So it was just like, there oh, really yeah. wasn't any, like, it was just like, like to not Lincoln have to just University. continuously, it was probably, and it was like to like not have to, to flash a number to just be like fastball, fastball. Like it just made it so much easier. 
so much. Easier. Also, if you take into account for, I think we did the wristbands for three and a half years, and yeah, for all three and a half oh. years, I'd be like, ah, what was that again? I'm thinking about way too many other things right now. Well, that's the other thing, right? When you have a squirrel behind the plate like Marshall, who's, who's <laughs> moving a million miles an hour, and I, you probably would have been better last year because again, it was your fourth year, so you, you like, you know, the game really slowed down for you. I think that also helped the relationship is like just your maturity level and the fact that you were able to slow the game down made things a lot easier for the both of us. But, um, right, you looking at me and having to to ask for the sign again because. I don't. I don't know what other people's processes are. Right. Like once I gave you the sign, or gave you the pitch, I'm moving on to the next pitch. Like so, then everyone's like, "Dan, give it to him again. Give it to him again." It's like Marshall, just watch, so I don't have to do this 18 times. The best was when you would do it with the the black gloves with like a black hoodie on. I'm like, I've I couldn't tell you what's going on right now. I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm well, hoping when we- this is the right pitch. Northeast college baseball, it's 22 degrees out right now. Sorry, I didn't want to risk my right finger so that we could uh, <laughs> we could know what pitch was coming. Sometimes just you know, guesswork would have been better. So to follow up on that, was there ever a time Dan accidentally left the mic on and was talking in your ear while like play was going on? There were so many times. I, I do have to thank him, though. He never once chewed anything or spit anything in my ears while he was on the mic i would i think i would have walked off the field and quit if he did anything like that into the mic but yeah there's times where i'd be like glad hey i can still hear you turn it off or there'd be times where sometimes you just tap an airpod or like we used to we used to beat headphone at some point so sensitive you tap it and you're just listening to music there's times where i would have music playing <laughs> all the pitches coming and i'm just like all right this is this is pretty cool it's like you're playing it's like a Halsey. first person uh baseball game on, <laughs> like some video game <laughs> uh, yeah there was some some silly stuff that happened but usually it wasn't too serious of a moment that's, well that, i think that was the whole point phenomenal Working with me, maybe you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. You both work with me, but we never tried to make anything too serious of a moment out there. Like there's no, never, never, there's never a time where it was going to be too serious. So I can vividly yeah. remember we uh, I think it's one of our earlier games. We were playing Chestnut Hill at Chestnut Hill, and we ended up losing in a walk off in the bottom of the ninth. And I like not once in my head when I'm getting the pitch, I'm like, dang, this is crazy. I was just like, ah. Uh, I'm catching my brother. I have, I've got a good guy just talking to me, telling jokes. I was like, I don't, I don't even know what inning it is right now. Yeah, I, I mean, the 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 doing it that way gave such an. I mean, it was just such an advantage for so many different reasons. One, I think you talking about the communication that we had, and even though it was one way, I think a lot of it too, because I think a lot of people were impressed. Just I know around us in the dugout made comments is we were able to build up a relationship to where it was a lot of nonverbal communication where you could just motion or even look at me sometimes and I knew exactly what you were saying. Um, and so that would help because it really would help because, again, I, you know, I get it. it it's hard to allow or, or let college catchers call games, but I do think it's something that we need to work towards still. And, um, Obviously, I had hoped that had gotten to that point with you where it was just going to be you calling it. And there were times where it was just you calling the game because we had that relationship. But that takes time. And sometimes in order to build that skill set and 
build not only a skill set but the trust with the coaching staffs for catchers like it that takes so much time and you don't have that much time like it took us four years to get to that point so like that if you think about that like in a college season even though like i know it feels like we don't like your, your schedule's dominated by coaches like it takes forever to build that one knowledge base of how to do it coming from high school and then two that trust and understanding of what executing a game plan is because you know i was doing a lot more of the film breakdown and the studying of, of the opposing teams than you were because you were having to sit in class, right? Like you don't have the time to, you got a million other things going on in your life. You couldn't sit there and watch film like I could. So like I was doing that. So then for you to execute the game plan, you know, I would try and relay the game plan to you. We would always meet at practice the day before uh, a series and stuff and, and, and talk about what we were going to do. But um so then to just put the AirPod in and be able to continue to have those conversations um, to adjust when needed, it, uh, I think it really helped. I, I love that form of communication. Now, what are you guys using down there at East Tennessee? We um, we used two different things so far this fall. We've had the like the regulated clip the thing onto the back of the chest protector with the earpiece. Um, I didn't hate that. Um, it was just it's weird. Like, it's having, you have somebody in your ear, like we were talking about. But it was also, like, we were doing that for fall inner squads, and it just, like, it felt, it, I don't know, it just felt a little weird. But we also just recently got the, it's like the college baseball number bracelets. So you have these little, looks like a little right. Apple Watch on your wrist, basically. Or, like, guys put it on their glove or their belt. Um, that's what we use, and I think we're going to continue to use that for pitch calling, pickoffs, pretty much everything that you can think of that guys need to know and be involved with. So it's just like, it's basically like a little, uh, it looks like a, if you cut your cell phone in half, it's like a little thing with numbers on. It's like a little calculator almost. And the pitching coach will put in these numbers and then send it to us and we'll get pitch location. And if there's a guy on base, how many looks? What does it say? What, so, what comes up on your wristband? Yeah. Is it like a number system you have to memorize or does it say like fastball away? For us, it's a number system that we have memorized. Ooh, do you like that? Which pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, it is pretty self-explanatory. Yes, yeah, so it's like the first number is. Don't give it away too much. Anymore. Yeah, you don't have. To well, give yeah, it away. I mean, it's just like. Hmm. Well, <laughs> all right, yeah, I'll show. I'll show. My <laughs> it's just it's general stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So, you know, this is a question kind of building off. Uh, you know, you talking your experiences this fall and. And obviously maturity in, in that four-year process. And, you know, for the people that don't know, obviously Marshall's career, it's like you see these guys that are talented enough to play Division One. You usually think they roll out of bed their freshman year and start, you know, raking and dominating and, and stud behind the plate. And we'll kind of talk about offensively, you know, how that process was really never linear for you. It was the high highs and the low lows and then, you know, you finally got Mr. Consistency, but talking about the defensive side of things, how's that transition been to working with a new pitching coach, working with a new pitching staff, working with a new system of pick plays of, you know, how you do things because everybody's different and how they kind of run that operation as a catcher. So how does that maturity of being a fifth year guy in a, been in a program kind of grown up through, you know, the trials and tribulations and, how has that helped you in the fall? And what's been kind of the, the hardest things to, to adjust to a completely new situation? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the biggest thing with being a fifth year is not being too prideful, being like, oh, I'm the man to ask questions. Because, one, I'm the new guy. This is all new stuff. And it, there's 
there's quite a bit of stuff. Like there's probably close to 20 pitchers that I had to get to know, know how their stuff moves, what they like to throw, what they do throw. And so that, that just takes time. That's reps and paying attention, honestly, when you're playing and when you're playing against those guys in inner squads, like, oh, he likes to go to this pitch at this time, or this guy's curveball heavy and slider's more of just like a show pitch. It's just like taking mental notes and trying to be observant when those guys you don't know, don't know very well are throwing or like when you're catching their bullpen, just stuff like that. And just, it's just like a focus thing with those guys, like getting to know them. I'm working with a new pitching coach. It's definitely different, but I think he's similar to Galati in the way that he, they like to pitch the pitcher strengths and not the, not the hitter's weakness, which is a big thing for me that I've taken from working with Dan over the past four years. And like, in terms of how we game plan is it's don't, don't pitch to what this guy's bad at pitch to what our guy's good at and adjust accordingly of what they have and don't have. So they're pretty similar in that aspect. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to say I haven't worked with him a ton, but a lot of the stuff this fall was, was pretty much just me calling pitches and working in picks and stuff. He was kind of just in my ear here and there, like, hey, let's work on this this inning, or like this inning, we're, we're not going to allow our guys to throw this pitch and just kind of work with our other stuff. So that's pretty much the extent of what we worked with together. And um, and the, the, the guys more consistently are throwing higher velos and better spin and stuff. That is just like, again, it's like getting to know their stuff. You just have to focus and take each rep seriously and kind of take note of what's going on, like pitch to pitch and how their stuff is different from every other guy. So there's no Trevor powers on your staff with a dead arm, 74 to 76 who, who can square you up and it's easy to frame on, on that staff. Uh, I don't want to get too specific, but no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Um, would it, have you have you has there been a big adjustment for you seeing things that obviously worked at, at the level that we worked together at, as far as like things that we were able to be successful with, and then just with like the jump of talent level because everybody's just a little bit better, right, offensively and on the mound. And obviously, we weren't. You know, there were times where sometimes we were playing to. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to degrade the level we were at, but sometimes there are things that we could get away with or do that maybe you haven't been able to or you can't at this level from a from a, a pitching perspective. You're asking, is there like a difference in what worked before and doesn't work now, or are you asking if it's yeah, still are there things work? are there things that that don't work now that you that like we used to go to a good bit that that now like oh we can't get away with that. Well. The, the most general thing that I'll say at first is, like, if you can't throw any of your off-speed, it doesn't matter what Game level over. or how good your fastball is, it's going to get hit. Right. Um, but there's stuff that worked, like, um, just like I, tr- I just tried to do, like, some unconventional stuff that was considered unconventional. And it, it, it worked last year with when we would do it. It's just throwing a guy's best pitch, like, 95% of the time and seeing what happens. And... Sometimes that worked for me, and sometimes it kind of bit me in the butt a little bit if guys weren't able to locate that pitch. Um, but I mean, I don't want to be brash or harsh, but hitters are kind of they're kind of stupid. Hitters get very stupid. Stupid up in their head very stupid so easily. So I mean, the one thing that I would do, 
last year that kind of worked this year is like when I'm setting up, just like doing a fake setup one way and going the other, just like trying to mess with the hitter's head in terms of where he thinks I'm setting up and what pitch is coming. Because um, like these guys pitching, their stuff is so good. So honestly, I can get away with the same stuff because of that. Even though that the hitters are better, the stuff is better. So it's like it's like a small right. margin, small marginal difference if that makes any sense. Because the level of both are increased or decreased. Not to throw shade at the level of Division Two, right. Division One baseball, right. but it's pretty similar in terms of what works, what gets outs, really. It makes Which sense. Was I just to my surprise. Yeah, no, I just was curious if, if you know, because there were like, like you said specifically with that. I think you hit it. Is just the the kind of the philosophy that we really, really went to last year, um, especially at times when we needed the most. Is we we weren't. It was like I wanted to be at seventy percent of, of the guy's best stuff for the most part, um, if we could. Now that was always the goal. We never got there because that's. I mean, you, you can't get through a game doing that specifically, but just that mindset of doing that because I think that's something that Trevor and I have talked about even at, like at the big league level at times is like sometimes when you see year over year improvements from pitchers, a lot of it is like, Oh, they just started throwing the pitch that they, that, that is their best pitch the most. Right. And we, you kind of saw it in the world series with Christian Javier where when we talked about that last week, where it's like, this guy's just got an elite fastball. So guess what he's going to do? He's not going to let guys breathe. Cause he's just going to keep pouring in his best pitch. So I just wasn't sure if, if that's something that you had continued to see where you're at now or, or what. That's interesting. There there wasn't a question. Yeah, I just said sorry about that. No, it's fine. <laughs> it, the one thing that I did, we saw a lot of, because we did a lot of inner squads. We only had two non, like, we, we only played two other teams except for ourselves. Right. So, I mean, we just started to see a lot of, like, what a guy's working on. So it wasn't exactly like a true look all the time. It was kind of just like, well, today we need to work on our slider and right. locating it and putting guys away with two strikes. So let's, there'd be times where we would start at bats the whole day with two strikes and there'd be innings where guys couldn't throw their best pitch. So they had to work on their, like their other put away pitches and stuff. So it wasn't always like a true look on, trying to get guys out and like what is a guy going to try to throw me to get me out um and even pitch calling was different in that sense like sure to go back to the pitching coach thing so for the most part though like when we played our non inner squad games whatever you would call those just competitions your outside comp yeah yeah outside competition it was it was like a breath of fresh air because it was like wow this is I don't want to say easy except kind of like is downplaying the difficulty of baseball, but to go from calling against your own guys who know how I like to call games, knows what the pitcher likes. Like it was, it was so nice. It was, it was very easy. And yeah, I mean, getting guys off balance when they don't know you is, it's like tricking a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cover my eyes, play peekaboo. It's like, <laughs> So, there in the history of college baseball, I, I looked up this stat on on my own scouting website. There's never been a hitter who's dominated inner squads in their own pitching staff quite like Marshall Altry. This team, <laughs> in, in the spring of 2021, just putting up cheat code numbers on Goldie Beacom's unreal. pitching staff, unreal. 
I'm sure he did it again last year. And yes. we don't need to we don't need to fluff you to the point of of how did it go? What did you do? I I know the exacts of of how did it go? What you did? What is it that you know? Because for me, I. Um, I mean, you are too. This is part of the reason why we bonded as much as we are. I was a classic overthinker. I process information. I take it. I take it. I take it. I take it. And when I was standing between those white lines, and especially in that in the batter's box, it was information overload, right? So when I knew who was on the mound, I overthought just X, Y, Z of what they might throw, what they might do. What is what works for you when you're facing your own guys? Because you have about on the st- statistical of your career an increase of about two fifty in average, four hundred in slug, and three hundred in on base percentage. So, what is it for you? Is it seeing the pitchers a lot? Is it knowing how their stuff works, or are you just that that good that you can adjust? Um, I definitely can't say I'm just that good because that's that's the worst answer to give. Um. This fall it was it was it was tricky because like I I really didn't know these guys that much and there's four catchers uh, this fall so like I really didn't catch some some guys I like only really ever saw live once or like caught a bullpen once or twice so this fall was kind of like an anomaly in that sense where it was like I was it felt like outside competition to me every time I stepped in the box as a hitter because these guys don't know me. They probably think that I'm some Division Two scrub who needs to go back to where he came from. Not that that's what they're thinking, but in my head, that's what I'm like. That's how these guys are going to receive a, a 22-year-old first and last-year player at a program that they've been at. Um, so I just I just try to relax, and even going back to the 2021 inner squads and 2022 at Goldie and even this past fall, I really just try to see ball, hit ball. I try to make myself. I, people ask me a lot this fall, like, what do you think of when you go in there? And the best answer I could give is I try to be as, as stupid as possible and think about the least amount of things that I can and just think see ball, hit ball. I mean, the most I would ever really think is probably in the count where you want to think the least is like a 2-0, count where I'm like, well, this pitch has to be in this exact location where I'm feeling good right now or I'm not even going to take a cut. And the most predominant thought I probably had this fall with like seeing a tick up and velo and a tick up and spin was see the pitch that I want, which 90% of the time is a fastball because um, I just try to be like a caveman, see ball, hit ball. But my thought was I'm going to be on time for this fastball. And if I'm not, I'm going to tip my cap until I get the two strikes because I'm hunting one pitch most of the time until I get two strikes and when I get to two strikes, I just throw everything out the window and just try to be an annoying hitter. So, so tell me, obviously that's something that, I mean, I, I, I think we had that first conversation probably in 2020 when we were playing together and to see them again, we talk about, you know, maturity and, and the maturation process of you of a baseball player and to hear that, be your thought process and to know like how many times that was kind of a struggle for you because you want to mash this you want to do this you want to do that to kind of come full circle to where you are today and to just be able to simplify your approach when you're seeing better velo when you're seeing better spin when you're seeing better stuff on the whole on a day-to-day basis and to be able to go out there and just simplify your approach and, and just execute at that high of a level 
and to know obviously you know that it paid off the success like it, how has that been is that kind of been the consistency that that you've been kind of riding this heater for i know summer ball wasn't always the the highs that spring was but you know that you've been kind of rot, riding this approach out for the last kind of 365 days or so yeah i mean and honestly i think what like you said summer balls summer ball I've, I, I don't know what it is i've never done well with summer ball from the time i was travel ball as a 12 year old to now but i think what i when i keep it simple and keep myself like thinking at a minimum that's when i have my most success and like there's times this fall where we would have we would do like a pretend it was a weekend series and we have a scattering report on a guy and go into the box and don't swing at these pitches but swing at these I found myself the most uncomfortable in those at bats because like it's like information overload like he throws his breaking ball 86% of the time in this part of the zone and this is where it starts and look for it here and it's just to me I was just like oh my goodness I like to be an idiot now you got me feeling like I'm some sort of savant in the box like thinking about all this different stuff so I would find thoughts were or it sounds dumb thoughts are my biggest enemy in the box and I think the key to the success that I've had is just like a, a relaxation of this is a, a fun time to compete. And that's something that I kind of tapped into this, this past season. And which is where I had my most success was just as soon as he lifts his foot up, it's go time. Cause like somebody can call time before that, but that's something that I thought about a lot was when he lifts his foot up, he's going to give me his best and I'm going to give my best. And it, after it, it's just a fun way of competing every pitch and thinking as little as possible. Ever since you, you, I mean, I'm excited to hear this because ever since you came into, you know, since I've known you as a freshman, you came in and you were kind of always put in, in situations that carry a lot of pressure, right? Like you were always hitting in the middle of the order and not only were you catching, and, and I asked a ton of you behind the plate um, as a pitching coach, but just from an offensive standpoint and, the, and where you were placed in the lineup on all those teams throughout your four years at Goldie, you were in spots where you were, you were relied on, right? You were someone who, who we needed to count on. And obviously there was a lot of highs and lows, like Trevor mentioned earlier for you, where it was like you would get on heaters and then in, in your freshman year and sophomore year and junior year, it was like just inconsistency. But then there was last year where – even when you weren't at your highs, you were still super consistent in putting together good at-bats. And, I mean, there were points last year where you just carried the offense. Um, it was insane. My, I guess, long wind-up to this question is, is, is what was the process like and how did you get into that thought process of being stupid and just seeing ball and hitting ball and competing? Because for a long time there, it clearly wasn't that, right? And there was frustrations. And, I mean, I was in your – I mean, I used to get in your face all the time about how you reacted after at-bats um, because we had that relationship and, like, you couldn't handle things. And then last year it was like you, you were an adult. And so what kind of was that maturation process? And before you answer that question, Trevor mentioned you holding a record for inner squads. You also hold a consecutive record ongoing for, um, I think you might have broken it this fall, but striking out in each at-bat that you hit a home run foul in. So if people don't know, anytime Marshall used to hit a home run foul, he would punch out. And it got to the point this past year where I would yell that there was a punch out coming after you would hit a homer foul. And everyone would look at me like I was such a, an, you know, a prick. But um, it was true. You, you, you struck out. But uh, I just wanted to make sure we got that in here tonight. I do. Re I remember that um, 
vividly. I forget who we were playing. I don't want to be disrespectful. But it was definitely like a lesser opponent. We were up by like eight, eight, nine runs at this point, and I hit a home run foul. And I was like, ah, dang! And then before the next pitch even came, Gladdy goes, "Here comes the strikeout!" And I'm like in the box. I look up and I'm laughing. I'm like, oh god, I hope he's wrong. Two pitches later, I walk back to the dugout, and everyone's like, "Gladdy, what's wrong with you?" And I was like, that was pretty funny. <laughs> It was well, like clockwork. I've never seen something. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I've never seen something so guaranteed, though. It's like Marshall hits one, and everyone's like, "Come on, stay fair, stay fair." As soon as it goes foul, I'm like, "Up oh, here comes a punch out." <laughs> it was at that. It was death taxes and me striking out after a foul homer. It was the only <laughs> gimmies in life. Um, yeah, but I'm. Run it back real quick. Yeah, I sorry. I know. I got us. Well, yeah, I got us off the rails. That's on me. It was a long wind up too. Um, I guess just the maturation process of you and how you got into that mindset of just basically getting rid of all those things. Because, you know, when you came into our program, you were in, you, you were always hitting in the middle of our order and you were highs and lows. Like you were a guy who wrote it and you weren't consistent. And, and then last year, like you were an adult just from like pitch one of last season and obviously just becoming a 22 year old and not being 19 anymore 18 plays a huge role in that but also just to put like the mindset of like okay now it's just about competing like you said as soon as the guy lifts his foot like how did you develop into that mindset and how do you keep it a big thing is it's honestly it's, it's perspective um and what i think about of when i think about baseball like to me it used to be the success that i have in baseball determined how i was gonna be as a person and what was it was going to dictate what I did the rest of the night is like, man, if I have a bad game, I'm going to be so upset. And I was like, this is just going to ruin my night. It's going to ruin my week. And it was it was ruining my life when I didn't do well in baseball. And I was, I mean, I still take it very seriously, baseball. But I was taking it too serious, and I was taking myself like, if I don't do well, I was like, I'm just an absolutely terrible human being. And that's just not the case for anybody in in any sport. But I was. I was taking it too serious and that's when the lows would get even lower. And for me this season, I really just tried to, I wanted to have as much fun as I could. And I think part of that was the relationship I had with the guys on this team. Um, I had, for those who don't know, I had something pretty cool. I had my older brother there this year. He came out of retirement and he was in the dugout. So that made me feel like a little kid again, almost just like I'm, I'm playing to have fun with my, my brother and, my my literal brother and my my teammates and um you know you never want to disappoint one of your like your biggest role models so that was for me that was part of it this year was just trying to like have fun and 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 play well in front of my older brother because everybody tries to do that when they're a kid and i'm to me i'm still a kid playing a game and i think that's what i try to go about this year and i think it translated into a sense of like focus that i've never really had before because i just reminded myself it is a game and if i don't do well today i was like my brother my family everybody i know is still gonna love me for me and that's something that trevor and i talked about even when i was like 18 19 years old he was like nobody's gonna care if you go oh for four with four strikeouts or four for four with four homers when you go home you're still gonna be their son their friend or like girlfriend whatever so that put put me at ease like any time I was competing in a game and it allowed me to have fun with it entirely from pitch one to pitch the last pitch last out. 
because I wasn't putting pressure on myself to like, oh, if I don't get a hit this at bat, I need to get a hit this at bat or else my whole day is ruined. It was just go have fun. You put in all the hard work and it's time to just enjoy what comes from that, putting in those hours, if that makes any sense. And I'm yeah. kind of doing circles in my answer here. No, you're you're good because you know I'll just I'll just kind of catch you right there. That that's something that, from my perspective, and the reason why it's I'm, it's something that I'm so passionate about. At when I was coaching and when I was in those situations where you know whether I was three quarters zipped, untied down to my mid chest, bare chested, doing push ups at the end of the dugout, and when Marshall would punch out and and be frustrated, and I'd have to kind of settle into that Zen mode and and kind of go talk to him was. You know, at Arcadia, I kind of came up with this theory and I would, I would talk to guys and, you know, I'd ask them, like, what's your favorite thing to do in the world, right? Like, if I put you on the spot right now, it's like, go to the beach, like, go, you know, for me, it'd be like, go to a Penn State football game or, or something like that. And I, I would ask guys, like, if you go 0 for 4 with four punch outs today, are you going to have as much fun there as you would have, if not, if you went 4 for 4? And they'd usually say, no, I wouldn't have as much fun. And I'd say, well, then you're too emotionally invested in your success, right? And you talked about the fact of the process and knowing that if you put in the work, that's going to be kind of what what you trust. You trust the work you put in. You trust the approach you have. You trust the process that you have. And, you know, again, it it's so hard to put into practice. I, I think I said this on here one time, and I said it to guys all the time. It's so easy to be positive and process-oriented in the on-deck circle. But what happens if when you get punched in the – in the gut, in the batter's box? What happens when you swing through a middle cut heater that you know you could have done damage on? What happens when umpire makes a bad call? Everything crumbles around you. And it to see, and this is kind of just going to be a 5, 15 second fluff sesh for you, to see the person that I met, you know, in the fall of 2020 and the person that you were as a true sophomore. Um, and to be honest with you, like I was a fifth year guy like you're right now. And we were probably best friends on that team, right? Like it was like we had a bond beyond just, you know, teammate. Like it was a true friendship. And to see that guy and have to be in the corner with him, talking to him after, you know, a rough at bat, a rough at bat. And then to see the step forward the next year. And I thought coming out of the COVID, you know, pandemic where you put in a ton of great work, you were a ticking time bomb waiting to go off, right? And the stat, the the numbers didn't show them as well as you were capable of, right? You caught COVID, you missed a stretch. We played a billion games in six days and baseball was hard. And having those conversations, but seeing the light beyond, but seeing the frustration still come out. And last year we would communicate a lot throughout the year. And when I would ask you, you know, like, where are you at, right? The one thing that you kept coming back to was you're not your best, but you're consistent, right? So, all that to say, was it really just like, cause I know you never, I know at the back end of last year, you really turned it on and you really started to be the player that you're, you know, more than capable of. But when you're able to be consistent, was it just consistency in the process and consistency in the mindset where you were just, you were a gimme one for four. I mean, what was your hit streak up to last year? Pretty high, right? But it was like a lot of one for threes, a lot of one for fours. Yeah. It wasn't a lot of four for fours. Yeah, I would say uh, I think it has to go back to not only – I didn't have so much a physical process. It was more of just a mental thing for me because every day I was – physically you feel different. Like, oh, I caught two games yesterday or 
we haven't played in four days, so physically I feel great today. My swing feels dialed or my swing feels the opposite. I just tried to honestly have as much fun as I could and just I wanted to I wasn't there to impress anybody. I wasn't there to I was just trying to help the cliche answer, I was trying to help the team win. But in doing that I've in a smaller, more in-depth answer, I just tr- literally tried not to think too much about the game. Um, I tried to give myself an advantage. Like if I saw a guy was tipping pitches, and a lot of times at the college level, guys do s- small stuff like that that would help me out. And if I wasn't feeling great, maybe I picked up on something like that. Or if, or if I was feeling great and I did pick up on something like that, it would make my good days better. But I think it allowed me to minimize my bad days was just thinking about it not too much. Like, there's a, a fine line of thinking in, as a hitter. And I tried on days that I was struggling to get back to just like a, a good mental space. Because going over three, it sucks, whatever. Or trying to get that hit to what seems like salvaging the day. Um just trying to get into a good mind space to allow allow me to give the best product that I could on my bad days. And whether that was thinking about I get to go hang out with my dog if I don't get a hit here, and or I get to hang out with my dog even if I do get a hit here. Um, just something stupid like that was allowing me to take it serious but not too serious on my success. Like my success, it mattered. Also, at the same time, it didn't matter at all. Yeah, the, the dog's tail still wags whether you go over four or four for four. Exactly, and that's what that's what get, that's kept me going. If I was a bad day or a good day, was I can't wait to go see my dog. <laughs> I don't um, know if I that just, answered your question or not. It does. It does. absolutely <laughs> does. And I think I think what you're hitting on here is is so important. And would it be fair to say that? The, not thinking about the mechanic, right? You said it's, it wasn't necessarily like a physical process, right? Or a mechanical process. It was more of a mental process. Would it be fair to say though, that like all the work you put in, cause you're, I mean, you're, you're one of the hardest workers I've ever been around when it came to your craft, whether it was behind the plate. I mean, the number of bullpens you caught for us, which like for people who don't know at the college level, like most starting catchers, like you want me to catch a bullpen? Like ah, I'll catch one or two. Like you, you would, ca- I mean, you were my guy. I mean, in the off season, you were catching side bullpens for me. During COVID, you were catching shutdown. Like you were so invested in not only becoming like a good, a good hitter, but a good catcher. Do you think that helped with not needing a, a mechanical process because you knew you had put in all that work beforehand that it could just be about like, okay, I just need to get into the mental space. I know that I've put the work in for this moment, mechanically, physically. I've done all the training that I can. So now it's just about being in the right headspace to compete. Yeah, because there, like, there would be days where physically I would show up and I'm like, man, my swing feels off today. But if I went into the box thinking, like, man, my swing feels terrible, like, I got to do this, this, and this, like, those, my, the physical would ruin the mental side of my game. So I, it was just about, like, trusting that even if I had a terrible round of BP or it's, it's getting me to where I need to be because when I step into the box, I revert to what I've done, the swing I've taken a million times, regardless of if I'm trying to tinker with something at BP or not. Like when I step into the box, 
it's muscle memory and I just have to remind myself that I've taken I don't know how many swings over my lifetime you don't always have time to think about what you have to do you're kind of have to trust the work that you put in and I I found if I didn't trust the work that I put in I probably didn't put in good enough work on what I was doing whether that would be like a new way of catching a baseball with the new era of receiving baseballs is like working up through it. And if I didn't trust that I was going to drop baseballs cause it just, I didn't trust myself. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you, what's so important to me there is the fact that, that again, you're trusting all the work you put in and in order to get there. And also like you're going to have bad days, right? Everyone is, there's no one out there alive. Who's going to feel good every single day, especially when you're playing 50, 60 games in a condensed window of 90 days, right? Like that's not a lot of time to like you, it's impossible to feel good. And, and what if you didn't sleep your best last night? And, and what if you, you know, didn't eat great the night before, or you gotten into a fight with your girlfriend or you're in an argument with your, your parents or, you had a, a crappy day in class, like all that stuff matters. And I think people just gloss over that to the point where like, so you're not going to feel physically great, but how can you then turn it around to be able to, you know, free your mind to be able to feel comfortable where you're at and compete. And so like to hear someone who's had the success you have, have had like to say that like, yeah, for me, it was just like, I need to get into this, this mental space where it's like, it doesn't like the, the, the dog's tail is going to wag, whether you go for four or four for four. Right. Like that's such a good way to go about it, because especially in the game of baseball, like, yes, hitters are dumb, but hitting's also really hard. Like hitting's really tough. So if I'm in there and I am had a bad round of BP and I also got in a fight with my girlfriend last night and uh, mechanically like I, I'm, my legs are tired because I just caught two games. And if that's what I'm worried about, then like you said, you got no shot. You might as well not even go up there with a bat in your hand. Yeah. It's basically going up there with a piece of swiss cheese or a whiff of all that because it's pretty wet paper towel right it is is. and you know i mean obviously a lot of your success is is so much to do with the process and and everything that you've put in from that regard but you know i do want to get mechanical for a little bit um here and, and ask you a couple questions about you know obviously what works and you know Little do people know, like, I know the guys at Arcadia that do listen to this, like, the the relationships that I've built, like, I I can count on one hand the guys that I have a relationship with that was built in the cage. Marshall Autry was the top dog, so for all those guys that I love and and I worked with for a year, like, the, the relationship that we have is because of this guy right here, because me and him spent, you know, hours just grinding right like grinding whether we're playing together we're always trying to get in the same hitting group and not because i'm talented enough and we're mashing baseballs but because because you know we kind of always helped each other whether because i knew i wanted to coach and i was learning from you know somebody who i felt like was you know one of the most talented kids i've ever seen and also where marshall was kind of leaning on me for just mentally and stuff like that but i remember to this day you know, and this was before we even really had this real deep relationship that we, we kind of build over time. You know, we talk about, you know, I've been on here talking about ball flights, your your number one feedback, right? I learned that on the golf course, and I learned it from Marshall Autry's BP. I saw this kid hit 115-mile-per-hour buggy whip line drives, top spinning into the into the dirt and, uh, and hooking balls foul into the trees. And, you know, I – it, to be honest with you, there was one time I was I was out all fall 
Um, and I was standing on the turtle and, you know, I was like, I didn't really know Marshall. I didn't know him that well. I knew of him. We knew, we kind of had like a very surface level relationship. And I remember saying to you like, Hey, like try to think on top to second base. Right. Cause I was just sitting there like in, in the way my brain works and the way, you know, I think about hitting, you know, I was just trying to figure out why, why top spin, why side spin, why can't you keep those balls fair and stuff like that. And, you know, you, we kind of built from there. That was kind of the foundation. And then, you know, we kind of flattened, you kind of flattened out over time. So talk about the mechanical adjustments, you know, from the time of top spin and balls to the full side. No, and it's not always perfect, right? This fall, I know mechanically you didn't feel like you were in a great spot. And I'm sure in the spring you're mechanically going to be in a great spot, but the hits might not fall as much because that's baseball and that's what makes this game horrible. But talk a little bit mechanically about your swing, about what you kind of have gotten to the point, because your swing hasn't changed much since, you know, kind of the, the guy that came out of the COVID pandemic of, of all that work you put in. Um, mechanically, it's – I I over COVID, I went through, like, what felt like four different swing overhauls. And honestly, I went to – when it came, baseball finally came back on, I was like, who do I enjoy watching? And – am I built like this person? And the one person I kind of turn to a lot, and I still do when I feel like I'm in a weird place, is I, I go back and I, I like to watch somebody like Pete Alonso. And he's he's so simple in his setup, his swing. And, I mean, I don't – it sounds stupid, but we have pretty similar bodies, just bigger dudes. I mean, he's much bigger than I am. He's an absolute unit, but – he is. He keeps it simple, and I know I'm. I'm not somebody who's athletic enough to do a, a boba shit, crazy leg kick, and hold that kind of posture, and be productive with that. So to me, it was basically just keeping it as simple as possible, and um, it still is. When I do any sort of swing work, I try to make sure that my body is quiet and it doesn't look absurdly violent for no reason, if that makes any sense. Like somebody like, I don't know, somebody who's got a, a crazy swing, like pre-swing movement, like somebody. Javier Baez. Exactly. That guy is, he, it's just, he never stops moving. Yeah. Um, so mechanically for me, it's, I start with my bat on my shoulder just so I'm not, again, minimal movement, minimal thinking. Um, I do that. I start slightly closed to try to counteract flying open and hooking and side spinning baseballs and everything. Um, I guess the most important thing that I think about is swinging through the pitcher's head because everybody gets to the same spot. It just matters what you do after that. And everybody has their different way of moving to get to when they land their like when they get to their heel strike, having the bat not be just dragging through the zone, having it in a good, strong position. Um, so, of course, you're, you're thinking about staying strong, but for me, it's just swinging through the pitcher's head and staying through the big part of the field as long as I can, kind of maximizing, A, my time in the zone, and B, maximizing my misses because of that. And so mechanically, I try to focus on, like, now in the offseason because – this fall I had a little bit of a problem with 
top spinning balls and like, man, I just missed that ball to center, right center. And it's, I hit it way too high and it's a little side spun going the other way, like a little bit of a, a little bit of a flare. It's just, I think it was a bit of a kind of getting, getting tied up a little bit on my body. So just trying to stay smooth, fluid, and, um, just trying to swing through the center of the field as long as I can. And that's honestly my biggest mechanical cue. Yeah, and, and swinging through the pitcher's head allows your barrel to stay behind the baseball enough to get backspin and true carry to all fields, you know. Yeah. And then you then you put yourself in a position to just, you know, again, it's not it's not it, it's so backwards. I always use the the cars line. I know you texted me and you were like, "What do you see?" And I was like, "What did uh, <laughs> what did Doc Hudson tell Lightning McQueen in Cars One? Sometimes you got to turn right to turn left, and it's like you can't try to pull the ball." to pull the ball. That's the most backwards thing in the world. You have to think. That's why the old school adage of, you know, think the other way and react in and stuff like that is because you're front, like you said, you don't open up. You don't fly open and then start yanking those balls. That's why those guys that think the other way and stay inside the baseball, that's why that works. And then it's like you don't get, and then you don't get rushed in, right? And when you see in, it's just naturally take the same swing. And the only difference is contact point get the barrel out, then you backspin that off the left field pole. And obviously we've talked about Alex Bregman. There's guys in the big leagues that do it better than anybody. And it's the whole same concept. Like you said, swing through the pitcher's head. That's just keeping your bat in the hitting zone long enough to hit the ball flush and get true backspin and carry to all fields. Yeah. And um, something that I kind of learned last off season from uh, his name's Andrew Beck told he's a minor league catcher infield uh, he plays a bunch of positions but anyways he's a pretty good hitter in the twins organization is something that i thought about this year and I, I saw it happen a few times in real time was winning the angle so like if i get beat and i don't get my hands to where they're supposed to be or the contact point if just trying to think about angling the bat to where it's going to most benefit me and that's thinking about it maybe a little but too much sometimes it's something that you kind of just work on in practice and we can go back to talking about trusting the work that you do and all the mental and physical preparation but that's something that i think maybe isn't talked about enough it's kind of just guys talk about being on time and they don't ever really talk about the angle of the bat but in a situation where you're you get absolutely blown up but if Mm -hmm. your bat angle is facing down the right field line you're yeah, you're going to dump that thing in there for a single, mm-hmm. double, whatever. So that's one of the other mechanical things that I I try to stress now so when it comes time in the spring, it just happens. Yes, I love that. I love that too, by the way. I've never thought of it that way, but that's that's awesome. Dan, I know you got something. Yeah, so it's interesting that you're talking about staying through the middle of the field because I think one of the things last year that um, – when you would get out of whack a little bit, right, it was the thing that we used to talk about was always just like club down, right, because it was almost like you were getting too big, right, and obviously staying through the middle of the field is something that helps with that, but like those times when you were getting too big, was there anything mechanically that would, would it just be the the cue of like stay through the pitcher's head, like swing through the pitcher's head, or was it a thought process? How, because there were times where it was almost like in at bat where it would be like, oh man, like he, 
you were missing by a foot and a half. You were either getting blown away or you were just chasing spin in the dirt. And it was because you were getting too big. And sometimes they, it was like a, it was a big situation. So it was almost like you were sped up. And then like later in the at bat, you were, I mean, I remember at post specifically, like it was, you, you just crushed a ball for a, a three run homer, I think, to right center, like deepest part of the park. And it was just like, oh, like it just within three pitches, he just went from looking like he was not even going to come close to here he is now going opposite field with power. Um, yeah, I mean, I could feel when you would say club down and I was like, I don't really understand what that means. But then once you under, once you explained it and I was like, oh, like in golf, like I don't always need my driver. Like sometimes I hit my, my best ball in golf is with my nine iron because it's just the most forgiving club. So why not take that kind of into baseball? Not Why not swing my most forgiving club? 99% of the time and only break out that driver on like a 2-0-3-0 pitch and the mechanical thing that I noticed was I would get super tense in my arms and my bat path would be behind my head drop down to my waist because my arms are so tense and rigid it would be from my ear down to my waist and back up to my chin mm. it would be like the most backwards looking thing you'd ever yeah. seen <laughs> instead of just being nice and relaxed and thinking about like i mean why, why can't i just be free and easy why do i have to grip this bat to death and try to hit this thing a hundred four hundred feet when i can just be nice and smooth and probably give myself the best chance of that i think it was just like a it was it was such a goofy way to think about it, but I felt like it, like just like it almost felt like somebody with roid rage. You're just trying to like squeeze it as hard right. as you can, and I was trying to hit the ball as hard as I could instead of just, and that that would cause a chain reaction of just terrible mechanics, causing me to miss it by a foot and a half. So I think the mental cue of club down was a little bit of my saving grace last year because. I think when I was in trouble is because I was trying to do far too much. So, to, Dan, I, I think you got something to say, but two things to build off that. One, like you don't realize, you never realized how strong you were. Uh, I think you still don't realize how strong you are. Like there's no park, there's no, you know, whether the winds, you're, you're the type of guy that can go bridge into a wind, right? And, and I know the Doyle's a short porch to left, but you know, you, you can make any park look small and you can go all field. So I think that was something that I'm sure as you continue to grow, you start to realize um, just how strong you are, that you can hit a homer on a nine iron, which is just impressive. And, and secondly, it's like, it's not that out of the ordinary because Bryce Harper just learned that a couple years ago. Right. And that's a dude who makes a lot more money than the three of us combined. That's a dude who's way more athletic than all of us and all those things like that. And, you know, he, it took him that long, so it's not better late better um, late than never, right? You don't want to be sitting in, in a position in 10 years saying, man, why did I always try to go bridge when, you know, I could move weight and I can hit a ball 115 miles per hour? Well, to me, it's just so – it's amazing how it just feels like everything come, almost comes back to the mental process again. Like just so much of it because hitting – again, hitting and, and even pitching, everything in baseball is just so – Anything in sports really is just so finite, right? Like you said, like just being tense in a moment or in an at bat or in a situation can then cause a chain reaction to throw off all that, all your mechanical work that you put in. It can just throw it out of whack like that. But again, it just comes back to the mental process of like you were saying there. Like it was just like your arms were tensed up, relax and be easy there and, and swing your most forgiving club and, and, you know, ball go boom. Um, and it's just fascinating to me how it just, 
like everything can come back to if you're in the right mental space and you put in the obviously you have to put in all the work and all the sweat equity to get to that point but then to be in like just get into that mental space and like that's when you can become your most successful yeah and honestly i think the farthest ball i hit last this past season which is honestly probably the farthest ball i've ever hit in my life and i don't even think it's close was it felt like to me the slowest and most like under control swing and the least likely to produce the power output that it did in this situation i because it was in a situation we were down to our fluff yourself who against where how far it it was against it was at our home field it was against wilmington and, um, so you probably know the pitcher. Throw his name out there too. I'm not going to throw his <laughs> name out there. <laughs> I'm not going to throw his name out there. Trevor he wants knows, to know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> Trevor wants I'll to say know. this much: he he transferred from a Division One school to come pitch in Division Two baseball, and he allowed me to hit the farthest ball I'll probably ever hit in my life. So thank him for that. But ball was crushed. Um, it was a big game. It's like a school that I I have never liked growing up because they always told me when I was in high school and like at recruiting events, like never said a word to me. They're like, you're not good enough to play here, whatever. So I always had that that chip on my shoulder when we played them. Um, And so we had just taken the lead off of a a two-run bomb by Mason, um, the kid hitting in front of me. And so I come up. The very next pitch, I'm like, he's going to try to ambush me with a fastball. It's his best pitch. I just have to think about being on time and not being too high off the fact, like, oh, we're winning right now, and I hate these guys. And um, I don't. It was a middle, middle, upper 80s, low 90s. I don't know how hard he was throwing, and I don't. I barely remember seeing the pitch. It was just one of those things where it's. I'm sure you guys have had that moment and everybody who's played baseball's had that blackout moment where they're like, I don't even remember that. Um, it was just kind of one of those things. But the thing I do remember most was I felt like I had like a, like a log in my hand. I was just giving it a pass just, and that I was a I was swinging a nine iron, just nice and easy. And that was the farthest ball I've hit. And I don't know how accurate this projection is. It was projected by the great uh, Amazon stat cast that is Matt Trait at about 490-something feet. It might not have been 490, but the ball was crushed. I will say that. I mean, it was absolutely missing. Yeah, I, I, think, don't, again, I don't though, know like, about 490. And I hate to keep harping on it, but just to think, like, there you go again. Like the, the, That moment, right, is a – it would be reasonable to get up there and have one of those those tense arm big swing moments, right? But to go up there and just to to kind of have a plan, know that kind of okay, I'm getting this pitch here. I'm just gonna club down and I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a decent swing on it and look at the results that it that it it bared. I mean, yeah, that was one of those balls that uh, uh like you, you you see a lot sitting in a dugout for a lot of years, and that was one of those ones that like you're like I've only seen a couple of those homers in a dugout and um that was one of them where it was just like oof that ball was touched that was, that was also one of the few times i've ever talked trash mm-hmm. too which I, th- I thought cool what you were to gonna i afterwards. was gonna i thought you were gonna say when uh the only thing you remembered was rounding third base and looking into their dugout i, but. I lied i do remember that i talked a good bit of um slander on the way around <laughs> the bases 
because yeah. again, I, di- I didn't like those guys. I didn't like the coach, and I let him know that he was kind of being a bad coach right there, letting this guy give up six home runs in three innings like that. I was like, go get him. Sorry, you ate your humble pie the following weekend. Say it again? You ate your humble pie the following weekend. When they beat us? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's all in good fun. Just a little competition. The the backside ground ball sends their best condolences to Ryan Sandberg for getting absolutely Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Trevor's digging up bodies. Drake digging up bodies. So, <laughs> before we get out of here, um, he's a very good pitcher. He had a very good career. I know that. He had a very good year last year, except for, for that game particularly. Um, that's probably why his, pitch, his coach kept him out there for a little too long because he was their guy. Um, but before we get out of here, we don't want to keep you too late. I do want to ask you a couple questions about the last thing, and it's the new era of college baseball, um, the transfer portal. Right, and obviously it's an opportunity in a situation that obviously you parlayed into a what a lot of people would deem a very good situation. Um, you're able to take that leap to the next level um, and play Division One baseball, which is what you know I dreamed about playing Division One baseball. We all did, you know. And so, just go into a little bit of detail about what that process was like. How was it to kick in the recruiting process? I know coming out of high school, the recruiting process wasn't great. University of Delaware, I hope you regret not taking him. Um, and uh, so, how was All that process bodies. when you went in the transfer portal? Yeah, well, I, I get I get emotional about Marshall. He's the only guy <laughs> that I, I, I'll take bodies for. But what was that process like going in the transfer portal, obviously, as a fifth year, and, and what made you choose East Tennessee State? Um, it was super exciting because, like you said, out of high school, um, Goldie Beacon was really one of my few options. Um, I think I committed October of my senior year. Um, Correct. And, yeah, after that, there was, like, a few stragglers here and there. Like, I, I know I got a text from Shepherd University, uh, Dan's, Dan's uh, alum there. And uh, I think some Division Three in Virginia. So I, I really had not a lot of recruiting experience. So to me, it was all it was all like new. It was I felt like a, a cute girl at the bar. It felt nice to be wanted because I had I had some schools reaching out, and it was not as frequent as maybe I thought it was because maybe I was a little bit delusional of the weight that um, the the Division Two numbers that I put up carried. Um, but it was, it was exciting. I mean, I got a few phone calls, like the first few hours I was in there. Um, there was school up in Long Island, Stony Brook and school in New Jersey, Monmouth. I don't know where in New Jersey it is, but those were some of the schools that were, that reached out early. Say it again. On the beach. That's about all. Yeah. Long Branch, New Jersey. Long Branch, New Jersey. That, it was a beautiful area, but, um. I, I took a few visits. <laughs> Can I collect more bodies, or should I hold on? <laughs> hold on. Uh, <laughs> it was it was fun. It was exciting. Um, it was super overwhelming. I remember uh, one day I had checked my email. I was doing something, and I came back, and I was just thinking to myself, I cannot imagine having to make a decision like this at 17, 16, 17 years old. Um, I'm glad I 
that I did it when I did, being 22 years old at the time and having the great support system of you two and like my girlfriend, my dad, and people who had kind of gone through this before. Um, it, it was it's crazy. It's kind of like I don't know. It's like a free for all almost is what it feels like when you're in the transfer portal because you're reaching out, schools are reaching out. You got players from schools reaching out to you, like, oh, what do you think about this? And um, it's it's definitely advantageous for those who use it wisely and use it for the right things. And, um, I mean, getting to East Tennessee, kind of jumping ahead a little early, I think about half of the guys in the quote-unquote projected starting lineup are transfers this year. Like, they're all new guys. So, I mean, teams can benefit tremendously from it, but it can also be pretty pretty detrimental to a team if they use it in the wrong way. But getting to, I guess, how I got to East Tennessee State and putting myself in probably the best situation, I think, that could have came out of being in the transfer portal. Um, it's funny how it happened, actually. It was head coach at Felician, I think, was saying so- – he said something about me to – the pitching coach, or I believe is the pitching coach, is the associate head coach at ETSU, is um, Jamie Penzino. He's a great guy, funny guy. Um, but he was calling, asking about, I think he was asking about Cisco. He, he had a good year, pitched Jefferson, very talented, was definitely above. Punched he, out 40 he, against Goldie. Yeah, he was basically in a league of his own playing in the CAC. He's low 90s, great off-speed, whatever. Really good. But So he was calling, inquiring about him, just asking what he's about, like if he's good, if he's the real deal. And I guess he threw my name out there and kind of talked to Coach Riley after that, the head coach at Goldie Beacom, and just kind of asked some questions. And then they reached out to me. When I first got the text, I was like, yeah, East Tennessee State. I was like, I, it's, I was like, I don't really know anything about them. I was like, it's probably just another situation. Like, I had, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw any more bodies out there. But there was some, uh, some like Division One, like lower level Division One schools, and I, I knew nothing about the school, so I couldn't. I was pretty naive to be like, oh, this is probably just like another bad team that's just like trying to fill their roster for the year or whatever and then I did some research of my own and I took the phone call went on the visit and I just absolutely fell in love with the coaches down there the place the field I mean you guys know the Doyle no shade at the Doyle it's uh I feel like I'm playing at the living in the Ritz Carlston after after these four years at a, a Babe Ruth Little League field Doyle's beautiful two days a year. Which which days are those? The first day of the season and the last? When nobody's there. <laughs> no, but uh, it, was, it was good facilities. Um, I mean, more than what I ever could have imagined being a Division II baseball player who played somewhere five minutes from where he grew up. Um, it was just like stepping into another world that I didn't know was possible. It was like opening 
like you said, it was opening Pandora's box. And I kind of left there. I went on another visit after that. And during that visit, I was like, just in my head, I was like, well, East Tennessee has this better, has this better, has this better. I was like, what am I even doing here? And after that, I kind of knew, like, I'm going to be doing this no matter how much longer I'm in this transfer portal. It's like, I might as well just stop. And that's kind of how I, I landed on ETSU. Took the visit. I was blown away. And I was like, there's really nothing that anybody else could offer me that would be as good as this. And I made that decision, and I had one of the most enjoyable falls playing baseball that I could have imagined. That's that's good, because uh, glad we made the right decision right decision there for you, so... Um, obviously you feel like it's a, it's a great fit for you. Do you have any advice for really, if anybody's listening, that might be in a similar situation? I know we got a one that might be, um, kind of stepping his feet in that waters, trying to make the same leap that you're trying to make. So any advice for, for anybody of how to go about the process? Um, some wise words that were given to me by somebody that actually didn't even play baseball. It's, um, dominate your level and then you can advance. It sounds pretty cliche, but I feel like until you're doing great things or what other people would tout as great things at the level you're currently at, it's kind of a waste of your time to think about something else. But if you get into that position, let me stop being a jerk. When you get into that position, just do what's what's best for you, your baseball career, and what works for your family. And, I mean, of course, ask people what they think and get some advice, but don't go play baseball based on where your friends are going to play baseball or what your friends think. Do what's best for you. And ultimately, is it going to benefit you? And if the answer is no, just stop right there. Because if you're not going to... advice from a smart guy. If you're not going to go and better your situation, you're just... it's kind of foolish i believe definitely definitely so um any last thoughts on uh last thing i'll ask you is obviously how hard was it to leave the situation you were you were in with the with the people and being five minutes from home it was tough um i mean this past semester the last semester i was at goldie i actually lived at home so I was living with my parents, my grandfather, my sister, and my older brother. And to have to leave that, it was definitely scary at first. And there was those thoughts in my head like, man, what if I leave and these guys down here don't like me or if I don't fit in? And, I mean, I'm stranded about nine hours from home with a car that won't get me back home. So I was like, <laughs> kind of, I was kind of putting myself in a corner and kind of carrying all uh, – putting all my eggs in one basket – um, it, it was, it was tough. Uh, I built so many good relationships over four or five years being that close to home. I mean, I've known coach Trait. I've been pretty close with him since I was about like 15 years old when he started recruiting me. He was the only one that recruited me. So it felt a little, a little harsh being like, Hey, thank you for believing me. And, and now I'm out. But at the end of the day, like I said, and like they said, because they're great people, you have to do what's best for you. 
and not what's best for everybody else in that in that situation. So it was it was definitely really tough. Definitely. So Dan, you got any uh, wise words or closing thoughts from Marshall before we let him go? You know, he's got to pick up his sister from the train station. No, I mean, I think I think it's great to hear the the stuff about the portal, and, and I think you know just the way you went about it. And I think one of the biggest things to think about is just you know it's a resource, but you know don't fall in love with the with it being a resource because sometimes it can feel you know exciting. But um, like you said, you know the advice you received is, is dominate the level you're at. You know, just be where your feet are, and, and if you find yourself in that situation, right, it was four years you spent at Goldie Beacon before you decided to hop in the portal. And it was like you had achieved so many things, right? Like you you were part of teams that won more and had gone farther than that program ever had. You had done done things at the, at the plate and behind the plate that, that people hadn't done there. And you, you did it for four years and you were a leader and you had accomplished a lot. And um, it was time, right? Like you, you kind of knew it was time. And, and um to be able to get out there and to grow as a person. And, and that was, I think one of the conversations that you and I had was like, it's about you, you know, at, at that point it was about you and, and sure, you know, it would have been great to have you back at Goldie Beacom, but you know, just like I, much like myself, you know, it, it was time to move on and, and uh, to know when to do that and the right time to do it. And it doesn't have to be, you know, there's a fine line between doing something for the right reasons and doing something because of, uh, you know, a reaction to something else. Um, and other than that, thanks for coming on, man. It's been it's great to see you again. It was great talking to you. I feel like I've talked to you forever. But if I, I'm going to say one last thing. This is something yeah. that a, a, a good, uh, I guess, resource. He, he was a former first overall or first round draft pick out of Syracuse. He played basketball. He came and spoke to our summer ball team. And ever since he said this, it's kind of stuck with me. He kind of took that old saying, like, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, saying he kind of took that and threw it out the window because he said, I can put all my eggs in one basket if I'm the one carrying the basket. And yeah. to me, that has kind of changed my my mentality of, like, what I said. I put, I put myself nine hours from home with no way to get back, and I put all my eggs in one basket because I was – I'm going to be the one carrying that basket. And if I had any advice to anybody who is in a situation where they're afraid to fail, if you're afraid to fail, just be the one who is in charge of their own success. Like if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, don't give the basket to anybody else. Carry that basket yourself. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do in in body, if that makes any sense. Of course, it makes sense. Awesome, and yeah, that's awesome. Those are some wise words from obviously somebody who been through the highs and lows with college baseball. He's been in the transfer portal. He's in his fifth year in college baseball, hoping to play professionally. I think that the skill set's definitely there, and trying to play baseball as long as he can. And you know, from my perspective, Marshall, you know, obviously from a friend standpoint, like super proud of you, super proud of everything you've done. Most importantly, super proud of the person you are. Um, I think you embody exactly what, you know, I always believed in, in you is like, God, that he's just such a good dude. He has to have success at some point. And it's so cool to see, you know, obviously the person you are and, and the maturity that, you know, the years, I mean, Dan's seen you since you were a freshman. I've seen you since you were a sophomore 
being able to talk here, you talk about whether it's baseball or whether it's off the field stuff and know the person that you are, you know, it's a, it's a blessing to, to be able to watch you grow and know that, you know, Johnson city and what conference are you guys in? So Southern conference, the Southern conference is going to know what golden bacon is by, uh, by mid, mid February. I can tell you that much. And, and it's going to be awesome to see. And you've always got a guest bedroom in, in Holly Springs in Lillington because, you know, it's you're like a brother to the both of us, and we want nothing but the best for you. Well, I appreciate it. I definitely wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you two. And uh, last thing I'd say is, what, a man can't have allergies? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a story for another time. Mar- Marshall mentioned getting COVID in 21. He's on the bus coughing and sneezing. And I'm telling him to get away from me. He says, what a man can't have allergies. Proceeds to punch out four times, drop about 15 balls behind the plate, all to find out the next morning that he was playing with COVID, not allergies. It was like three was- hours later. I was like, golly. Man what a man can't have allergies. Have allergies. Oh, man can't gosh, have allergies. Oh, God, that uh, thank is, you guys that for having me. Really, it was, it was a, it was a pleasure. Well, hopefully, you know, we'll be checking in, obviously, maybe later in the offseason, but definitely during the season, you know, when we're when we're probably doing college baseball coverage here and covering some stuff, we'd love to have you drop in every so often and, and see how the season's going and, and see how things are going. Yeah, Absolutely. we'll be out to see you. We're going to come. We'll find you. Yeah, well, we'll we're find gonna you one of these you. weekends. Yeah. Let's do it. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, Hopefully everybody enjoyed the podcast, obviously talking with our good friend Marshall Altry, um, and make sure you're checking the box scores at East Tennessee State dot com, whatever it is, proud alum, Brendan Powers. <laughs> everybody is it's a great school. A lot of people a lot of good alumni there and uh but uh make sure we're checking, following and uh everybody who's listening, make sure you subscribe, like and share, five star reviews. I know on Apple Pod. We got a couple, so keep them coming. Uh, it's very, very helpful for us. Like we always say, we enjoy doing this. Um, we like to produce the content. It's, it makes it a lot easier when we know that people enjoy it, actually. And we're not just me and Dan sitting here talking to each other like we do on the phone on any given day. Um, so definitely keep those coming and, and share with five friends. But other than that, it's going to be the off-season of guests. Hopefully we'll have a couple more on over the next couple of weeks here and, and produce some pretty good content through the off-season and hopefully get ready for the spring of next year. It'll be here before we know it. So we'll talk to you guys next week.